Well, if you'll take your bulletins, there should be a half sheet of paper in there that says Life Notes at the top. That'll help you kind of see a roadmap of where we're going to go this morning. And you'll see that at the top it says Five Essentials for Life. If you were to ask a biologist, what are the essentials of life? She'd probably answer air, food, water, and light. If you were to ask a nutritionist what are the essentials of life, he'd probably give you a long list of trace minerals and important vitamins and amino acids and things that you would need to work at the cellular level to keep your body going. If you were to ask a survivalist, they would probably answer, you need a shotgun, a bottle of water, and a bunker. But you and I are more than just physical life. Life has a spiritual element, and life has an emotional element to it, and there are spiritual and emotional factors that are just as essential to life as our air and water and food. You need other things in order to really live. It's the way that God designed us. In fact, without these, you're not just living, you're just existing. You're not thriving, you're just surviving. Today, I want to take a look at five essentials found in the Bible that we need for a balanced life. You and I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, much less next week or next year. But you can be sure of one thing. Things won't be the same as they are today. Whether you like it or not, the world changes. Your body changes. Every cell in your body changes every seven years. There's not a single cell in your body now that was there seven years ago. If it didn't, you wouldn't be here. You've probably noticed, too, that the pace of change seems to be accelerating. As we get older, the pace of change seems to accelerate. I know that time seems to accelerate as we get older. The years seem like to just fly by. Any of you notice that? When you're in a time of rapid change, you need to focus on things that are not going to change. Regardless of what happens in your future, you're going to need five essentials in your life. And the first essential that you and I need is we need power to live on. We need a power to live on. You need that because there's a lot of things in life that drain your life of power. They drain your life of energy, of strength, of vitality, of, of stamina. Change can definitely rob you of energy as you try to cope with the change and deal with the change. Stress can rob you of power. Conflict can drain you. Delay can drain your life of energy. And frustration can also drain you. So where do you get the energy and the, the stamina and the power to live on? Where do you get the energy to keep going when, when you're so overwhelmed and you, you feel like giving up? Well, people try different things. They try different fads, you know, whether it be diets or, or the latest craze of whatever. Just look at the self-help uh, section at Barnes & Noble and you can see. They try therapies, they try pills, things like that. But the secret of the power to live on really is to focus on the unchanging God. The more you focus on God, the more power you're going to have in your life because God is the source of all power. God has all of the power you need. Isaiah 40 put it this way. He said, even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord, circle that in your life, and say, those who hope in the Lord, those who put their trust in the Lord, those who focus on the Lord, will what? Renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not 
be faint. God has all the power that you need, and you get it by hoping on him, by focusing on him. The more you focus on God, the more you are able to plug into his power. If you spend a lot of time focusing on God, you're going to have a lot of power in your life. If you spend little time focusing on God, guess what? You're going to have little power in your life. And if you have no time focusing on God, you're not going to have power in your life. Now, there's a word for focusing on God in the Bible, and that word is worship. Worship is simply focusing on God. It's what we do when we come together here corporately on Sunday mornings. We come here not to focus on ourselves, not to see what someone else is wearing, not to discuss the politics of the day. We come here to focus on God. Some people think worship is, is a ritual. Worship is not a ritual. Some people think worship is a regimen and rules and, and regulations, and that's not what it is. Some people think it's a ceremony. Well, worship is not a ceremony. It's not a list of things you do or don't do. Worship means simply focusing on God. You can worship God by yourself on a porch or, or in your home. You can worship with another person or a couple of people around a table or in a, in a small group setting. And you can worship God in a large, more crowded setting like this. Whenever you are focusing on God, you are worshiping, and that's the secret of the power that you and I need to live on. So how do you worship? On Psalm 46.10, God tells us this. He says, be still and know that I am God. You see, it's, it's really hard to worship when you're distracted by all kinds of other things. It's why so oftentimes when I, when I give a pastoral prayer here, or even when I pray with, with Peter or the worship leader or people before the, before the service, one of my chief prayers is that the Holy Spirit would help us to leave the distractions outside the doors. It's why if you come up to me wanting to talk to me on Sunday morning about what's going on in the wash or, or pickleball, I'm sorry, I have, really don't have a frame of mind for that because I'm trying to prepare to worship myself and then to help lead God's people in worship. I'm trying to focus on God when I come here. So I apologize if, if, if in the past, and I have had this happen before, where someone's asked me about something, and I've been curt because I'm trying to focus on God when we're in this space here. And with that, I would ask that you respect that. And the people that work in the park or other things, you know, please uh, respect their time when they're here to worship. Six years ago, when I was building my house, and P.J. Martin was doing a lot of work for me down there. It took some self-control whenever I saw him here on Sunday morning not to ask him about a project that he was working on at my house. But I had to practice what I preach, what I ask other people to do. So if there's people that work in the park or, or contractors or other thing, and they're here to worship, let them worship. And you worship as well. Focus on God. In order to do this, we need to be still and know that he is God. We need to Rule out the distractions, drop the distractions, and center on him, center on his greatness, his love, and what he wants to do in our lives, his, his plans and, and his purposes for our lives. And the more we do this, the more that we're still before him, the more we're going to find ourselves restored, renewed, and refreshed on a daily basis. Some of you may be frustrated by different things that are, that are going in your life, different things that you're facing. You may feel overwhelmed. You may feel like problems and, and pressures and the stress in your life right now is a pretty high setting and, and, and may be rising. I want you to invite you to pause, step back, and think about God. 
That's worship. And, and you and I can do that no matter where we are, no matter what we're going through. And the power that's available through God comes to us in these times. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead, the same power that rolled away the stone from the grave so that people could see the resurrected Jesus, that's the power that's available to us. We won't make it on our own power. We can't make it on our own power. This is our first and our foremost. It's our greatest need is God. But we need more than that. You and I also need people to live with. We need people to live with. The Bible calls it fellowship. Fellowship. You and I were, re- were made for relationships. And we need the power of God in our life, but we also need people around us to support us, to encourage us, to fellowship with us. The Bible says that when God made Adam and placed him in the garden, he put, he put Adam in this perfect environment. There were no problems, no pressure, no pain. Yet God looked down at Adam in that perfect environment and he said, it's still not good enough. There's something terribly wrong. And in Genesis 2, God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. And so he created Eve. It's not good for you and I to be lonely. We were made for relationships. We were made for a relationship with God and we were made for a relationship with others, the vertical and the horizontal. And I don't care if you're married or not. I don't care if you're young or old. You were made to be with other people. And God says that you need people to live with, not just power to live on. Researchers have found that social isolation steadily increases with age and is strongly associated with poor health and unfavorable behaviors across all ages. Nearly a quarter of the general population could be categorized as either only partly integrated or poorly integrated and largely isolated from other people. The Bible says that we're supposed to help each other. We're not supposed to go through life, particularly the Christian life, as lone rangers. You're supposed to have people that depend upon you, close friends. You're supposed to be in fellowship with others. In Ecclesiastes 4, the Bible says, Two people are better than one because they have a good return for their work, working together. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. And so it continues on in the next verse. It says, if you don't have anybody to help you and you're all alone, well, pity on you. We need people to live with. Fortunately, God has designed a a kind of a custom network, support network, just for you and for me. And it's called the church. Church is not something we go to. It's not a building. It's not an event that we attend. Church is a community that we are supposed to be connected to relationally. We're to be part of. And he wants us to have relationships and connections and and fellowship within the body of Christ, the church, the family of God. However, when you get busy, the first thing that flies out the window is relationships. And oftentimes, the first thing that goes is one's relationship with God. We get too busy. We say, I don't have time to pray. I don't have time to go to worship. I don't have time to talk to God. I don't have time to read my Bible. I don't have time to be quiet and focused like we just talked about. And so God gets shortchanged, first of all, in relationships. And then if the pressure and the stress stays on, then we start cutting back in our family and our relationships with our friends and with other Christians. We say, I don't have time for the small group. I don't have time for relationships to get coffee with my friend, to listen to them. And so we end up being too busy, and that's because of our priorities are out of whack. 
And I want to tell you from experience that when you start skimping on relationships, it always comes back to haunt you. You're going to get hurt in the end if you isolate yourself from others. You cannot cut back on the emotional and spiritual need of your people, people that you live with. If you don't have meaningful, supportive, and accountable relationships, you're going to go under at some point in your life. The Bible warns in Hebrews 10, 25, it says, let us not neglect our meeting together. Why? Because you and I need it. It's not just what we hear and we learn, it's the relationships that we build in those meetings that, that, that help us, that, that help us get through life. If you think about the many things, just here at Sky Valley, we're, we're not the typical church. In fact, we use what we call a chapel model here for, for Sky Valley Ministries. But we do this thing, this, this, what the Bible calls koinonia, community, or, or fellowship. I come through here on Thursdays, and there's all these tables here laid out and on Thursday afternoons. And there's a group of ladies that have been meeting here, I don't know how many years, and they're making quilts, but they're not just making quilts. They're having fellowship with one another. They're talking to one another. They're sharing life's burdens with one another. That's what happens when, when, when folks do that. In small groups, we have small group Bible studies. That's what small groups are designed to do, to, to have koinonia, to have community, to have fellowship with one another. When we have our Guess Who's Coming to Dinner events, where we go to other people's homes and we try to match up with people that you don't know so that you can learn and build relationships with people that you may not necessarily naturally have relationships with here at Sky Valley. All these things are designed to bring you into fellowship with the community here because, frankly, because of the transiency of people coming and going to Sky Valley, that's difficult. It's one of the biggest challenges as I serve as, as the pastor and chaplain here at, the, at this chapel is the people, the transience of people as they come and go. So we need power to live on. We need people to live with. We also need principles to live by. You need a clearly thought out philosophy of life. You need a moral foundation. You need a code of conduct or a conviction that gives you stability when everything's flying off the wall around you. The Bible says that you're made to have a relationship with God, and that is why you're made. But, and God wants you to live with him, not just now, but in eternity. He wants you to live with him for eternity. And that, that's why we, we develop our relationship with him here on earth. Because you and I are not going to spend forever on this earth. Although some people may want to. I don't know why. But we're not going to spend forever. The choir just sang a, a song a few minutes ago about, about the future. About I don't see it yet. I don't see it now. And if we don't do good with what we're doing here, if we miss it here, guess what? There's no mulligans. There's no, there's no do-overs uh, in, in eternity. You know, we're being tested. This life is a test. It's, it's not the final act. The final act comes after Jesus returns and he brings the new heaven and the new earth. This is just a, a warm-up act, so to say. We're being tested on how well we'll follow God and his word, whether or not we'll trust, we'll faith Jesus Christ, not just for this life, but for all of our eternity. And we need principles to live by. God's going to see whether we're going to live by them or not. Now, I'm not talking about legalism, though. You've got to understand that. We're not talking about thou shalt do this and this and this and this and not do that. And by the way, if you play cards on, or go to the movies on Sunday, you're going to burn in hell. That's not what we're talking about, okay? The principles that we need are in this book. They're in this book. Psalm 119.19 says, I'm a pilgrim here on earth. Circle that word pilgrim in your life notes. I'm a pilgrim. We're sojourners. We're, we're people that are on a journey. This, is, this, this world is not our home. 
You might have seen these things in the back of some people's cars. N-O-T-W. You know what that stands for? Not of this world. It's a reminder to us that we're not of this world ultimately. We're of another world. The world that is to come. The, the psalmist says, I'm a pilgrim here on earth. I need a map and your commands are my chart and my guide. This book is the guidebook for life. Everything you need is right here. The principles to build your life on and to, to live by, they're right in this book. But the problem is that, that God's principles for living are, are oftentimes, too oftentimes, exactly the opposite of conventional wisdom, what the world says that we should do. The world says that, that we should do one thing, and it's oftentimes opposite of what God wants us to do. God's principles for living, for time management, for sex, for how to use our money are the exact opposite of what the world tries to push us in. Popular culture often, so often, gets it wrong. They say you earn your way to heaven by being good enough. If you were to go down and stand on the street corner in, in any city, most of the people that you talk to on the street corner, even people who may be in church, unfortunately, will, will, will talk about what we would call a works righteousness. They think that you have to earn your way to heaven. God says, no, not a chance. There's no way that you can earn it. As hard as you might work, you're, it's, it's, still, it's still just a spit in the bucket compared to what it would take. What it took was Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Heaven is a gift. It's a gift that you have to accept by faith in the Son of God, a free gift of grace. Popular culture says, get all that you can get as fast as you can, hold on to it, and don't let anybody else have it. God says the way to have happiness is to give your life away. Pick up your cross daily. Follow me, Jesus said. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of things that he possesses. We need to learn to give. We need to learn to share. We need to learn that because happiness comes from being generous, from being giving. So what are the, the statements, the, the values that hold your life up? In the modern age, truth was discussed and debated and fought over. In the postmodern age that we're in now, people don't even believe that there is such a thing as absolute truth, as Jeremiah pointed out to us last week in one of Monday's sessions. We're seeing this attitude in every part of our society, in politics, in government, in education, in work. And you're hearing people saying that there are no absolutes. You know, whatever, whatever you have for your truth is okay, and whatever's my truth, that's okay, and we just need to sing kumbaya and just coexist. You've seen the bumper sticker. But there's profound implications where there is no truth. And people who say this don't even really think it through. Your tolerance today is seen as more important than truth. You don't have to subscribe to truth. You just have to be tolerant of everybody, no matter how far away from God's word they are. Today, the supreme value is not truth. It's, it's political correctness. And the moment we decide that here are some principles I'm going to live on, that there is a right and there is a wrong, the moment we do that, we end up getting labeled as bigots, as nutcases, or, or worse, because we're not tolerant. Well, there's something more important than tolerance, and that is truth. It's not tolerance that sets us free. It's truth that sets us free. You can be very tolerant in building your life on a total lie. We need principles to live by. Jesus told a story at the end of the Sermon on the Mount where he said, two guys went out and built homes. One built his house on shifting sands, and when the storms came along, the waves beat it down and the, and the house crumbled. Another guy built his house on solid rock. 
He said that was the wise man. He built his house on a solid foundation. And when the winds came and the, and the storms blew, the rains came down, it remained solid because of the stable foundation. And then look at the verse at the end of that story. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a what? A wise man who built his house in the rock. We need principles to build by. Now, let me just say here, subscribing to the truth does not give you and me license to not love people who don't subscribe to the truth. Hear me carefully. Us subscribing to truth does not give us license or freedom to not love people who don't subscribe to the truth. God's word and and Jesus' example are pretty clear on that. We can challenge people with the truth of God's word without beating them over the head with it. We're not here to criticize other people's houses. We're here to help them build better houses and build them on solid foundations, not just sit there and throw rocks at their houses. That's not what God calls those of us who are Christ followers to do. There's a fourth ingredient, a fourth essential that we need in order to be all that God wants us to be. And that is we need a plan to live out. We need an outlet for expressing the talents and the abilities that God has given us. We need a plan and a place where we can make a contribution with our life, with our talents, with the abilities that he's given us in this world. We need a plan for how God is going to use us in order to make this world a better place. And really it boils down to two options. You can live your life either by design or you can live it by default. And you may have seen people like this. or some people that, that plan, uh, some, that sometimes I confess, overplan, try to overplan their lives. But then there's others who just kind of just sit back and let life happen to them. God wants us to take life seriously. He wants us to plan. I'm not saying you have to be type A driven person, but he wants us to plan and have a design for our life, a plan to live out. Because he wants us to live our life intentionally, not accidentally. We can get the most of what God has given us, or we can waste it, we can blow it, or we can just drift through life. The fact that you and I are alive means that God does have a plan for us. Life doesn't make sense until we understand that we were made by God and we were made for God. He made us for himself. And life doesn't make sense until we understand that. So how do we know God's plan for our life? How do we, how do we know our place in the world? How do we know our niche, what we're supposed to be doing? what we're supposed to do with our life. Well, I can tell you one thing that God wants every single one of us to do, and that is service. God's plan for your life and for mine is service. He wants us to serve him, and he wants us to serve him by serving others. And this applies whether you're 18 years old, graduating from high school, or you're 68 years old, retiring from the workforce. God wants us to serve. Look at Ephesians 2.10 with me. Read, go ahead and read it with me. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now think about it, which God prepared for us in advance to do. You see the element of planning there? God created you. He created you and me because he had a plan for our lives. He had things that he wants us to do. You know, we're who we are and what we are because God intended that. He has a plan for us to fulfill. And only you can be you in this world. You can't be Walt. I can't be you. We're different, thank God. But he has a plan for each and every one of us. And he wants us to to fulfill that plan. He doesn't want us to, to look at someone else and say, boy, I wish I could do that or I could do that or be like that person. 
Now, it's okay if someone is, is encouraging you. It's okay if someone's challenging you, stuff like that. You know, he doesn't want you to try to be that person. One's enough, he'll say. He made us what we are. Now, it says here that God created us in Christ Jesus to what? To watch TV? No. It says he made us to do good works, and that's service. He made us to serve. He didn't put us on this earth to be selfish people living totally for ourselves, waiting for everybody else to cater to our needs. And if you think that, I'm sorry, but you're sadly, sadly mistaken. If you, if you live your life for yourself, then you've missed the plan that God made you for. And you're not living, you're just existing. God didn't mean for you to just live for yourself. He wants you to make a contribution to this world, a contribution to life. He wants you to give something back, to, to have an impact in the way that's based upon how he molded you. When you get to heaven, God isn't going to ask you, why weren't you like that person over there? He's going to say, why weren't you who I made you to be? That's the standard. God's never going to expect more out of you than he created you to be. I mean, that would be nonsensical, wouldn't it? He's never going to expect more out of you. Now, some of us may need to be challenged in order to reach what God wants us to do. But he's never going to expect more of you than what he created you to be. So how do I know what God wants me to do? How do I know where he wants me to serve? Well, we look at what God, the way that God wired us, the talents, the giftedness, how our spiritual gifts, where's our heart, where's our ability, where's our personality, where's the experiences. You know, we have a man who isn't here this year. Gary uh, lives down at Caliente when he's here. And Gary has a real heart for the homeless. And Gary puts together these bags of, of things to, to, for people to give out as they, you see the homeless people. He actually doesn't just look for people in the street corners. He goes to the places where they are. I just noticed this past week, I, I don't know how many times I drive down Monterey between Ramon and the freeway. But I just realized a couple days ago I was driving by, and for the first time I really noticed it. There's a big tamarisk tree there, and I pointed out to Lou as we were going by, there's people living in that tamarisk tree underneath it. There's some homeless people camp, camped out there that I hadn't noticed before. And so Gary would, Gary would take a bag and go to places like that. And I, I got one of Gary's bags last year because he and I were talking about this. And I had that bag set in my office at home all summer, and it's set in my bag here. Now, I'm not coming to someone and saying just any person, you know, here, can you help us put bags together at Sky Valley so we can give them away? I'm waiting for someone whose heart is about that. Now, one of the reasons I'm talking about it this morning is to see if there is someone whose heart's about that that can lead that ministry here at Sky Valley. And so that's just an example of, of using someone's heart, where their heart is, in order to, to serve other people. And so if you have a heart for the homeless, come let me know, and we'll work together to maybe make some of those bags here and get other people involved in, in helping homeless folks. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. God gave us he made us differently. He doesn't use a cookie cutter to make us all the same. The last essential for life that I want us to consider is this. I need a purpose. You need a purpose to live for. You need a purpose to live for. Everybody needs to feel like their life matters. You need to feel like you're not just taking up space, that you're not just using oxygen, using resources, that your life matters and that it counts. That you not only have a plan to live out, but you have a purpose to live for. You need to know your purpose. So, so often, I believe that the determining factor in people who, who pass, who die, is when they 
It isn't necessarily a physical thing. I've seen people who were still physically healthy, but they lost their purpose to live. They missed their purpose to live. They lost it. And that ends up with them, they just lose the will to live when they don't have a purpose. God wants us to have a purpose to live for. And if we don't understand our purpose, life doesn't make sense. We say, why get up in the morning? Why go another day? So sadly, though, most people in this world don't ever determine or discover their purpose in life. They live and they die just existing. What do some people do when they, when they don't know their purpose or don't have a purpose? Well, some folks make up a purpose. And a lot of people do that. They just grab something, they, they latch onto it, and they, that becomes their meaning for life. So for some people, it's sports. For others, it's music. Others, it's politics. Others, it's making money or, or golf. I'm sorry, I'm stepping on some toes there. For some, it's decorating their house. And listen to me, all of these things are fine things. They're okay things. But that is not your purpose for living. Those things are fine, but they're, they're not your purpose in life. You and I were, were made with a hole in our heart that only God can fill. We were made to have God at the center of our life. And if God is not number one at the center of our life, then we can try anything else, try putting everything else in that God-shaped hole in our heart, and it becomes a poor second-class substitute. And we're going to be disappointed because nothing Absolutely nothing can take the place of God in our lives. We try to fill it with something else, and we end up being, making that thing an idol. We become addicted to it. And, and you can become addicted to anything. You can become addicted to, to TV, to, to food, to, to the approval of your spouse. You can get addicted to thinking that your, that your whole life is, is wrapped up in worrying about your kids. Or, again, I'm going to step on some toes, your grandkids. I'm not saying that it, it can't give you purpose to, to share your grandkids' life, to bring Christ in their life, to, to mold them to, so that you can leave a legacy. That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about, I, I've known, I know people that the, the grandkids or the kids or whatever, they do whatever they, they want to do. And, there's no, and it's, all, it's, all, it's, a, it's a, not a healthy relationship because the parent or the grandparent doesn't confront them with the harsh realities of life that, that they need in order to grow up and to survive in this world as, as, as Christians. Some people make their life purpose the pursuit of pleasure. They live to party and, and seek thrills. They seek that adrenaline rush that comes from, from the life of, of what they're doing, the newest movie or the latest extreme sport. They only feel like they're living if they're on the edge and their adrenaline is pumping. And those are fine things again, but that's not the purpose of life. The purpose of life is more than just to be entertained. It's more than just to have a, an adrenaline high. The purpose of life is, is more than just acquiring a lot of things that we're going to leave behind anyway when we exit this life. Then there's some people who make their life purpose just getting to retirement. If I can just get to retirement, have enough money to live on. Well, the purpose of life, I dare say, is more than just retiring. And I could make an argument to you. I'm not going to do it this morning. I may someday. But I can make an argument to you that the Bible knows nothing of retirement as we conceive of it in Western society. The Bible doesn't, doesn't know anything of retirement in that way. And this is a poor substitute for God's purpose in your life. Study after study has shown that people who retire early tend to die sooner. Why? Because you are not made for, for a 24-hour-a-day life of leisure. You are made for more than that. You are made for, for, for more than just fun. Again, there's no problem with fun. 
But it's one of the reasons why I challenge people who come here. Yes, you're on vacation or you're on your, your, your snowbird time, many of you, or you're retired or you're retired early, but you need to also have a purpose beyond just playing golf or pickleball or horseshoes or that kind of stuff. Now, you can fold your purpose into those things as you build relationships with people in those things, but you really have to have a, a, more of a purpose than just, I'm going to have fun and get my handicap down, handicap down in golf. Is that the right way? Get it down? You want to lower handicap? Yes. Yes, okay. Oh, so there's a golfer. <laughs> One guy who totally understood his purpose was the Apostle Paul. In Acts chapter 20, Paul said this, However, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. God had a mission and a work for Paul to do. And if you are still breathing, check your pulse. If you've still got a pulse, God has a mission and a work for you, a life mission, a life purpose. It may be different than what it was when you were working if you're retired now. He's given you a life mission for while you're, you're still here. He wants you to fulfill it while you're on this earth. Let me close by telling you the secret to getting started in all of this is first, it goes back to the beginning, you need to get to know God. You have to have a relationship with him and with his son, Jesus Christ. We have to be connected with God. Jesus said it again in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Don't miss the importance of what he's saying there. Live a God-first life, and you'll have everything you need. If you want most what God wants most for your life, then all these other things will be given to you if you seek his kingdom first. The apostle Peter later wrote, he said, his divine power has given us what? Everything. What does that mean? Last time I checked, it meant everything. Everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him That means relationship. We have knowledge of God as we deepen our relationship with him, right? Who called us by his own glory and goodness. So it starts with this relationship with Christ, of knowing Christ. And if you don't know Christ, if you haven't crossed that line of of becoming a Jesus follower, of placing your faith and your trust for eternity, not just fire insurance or not just here in this life, if you don't know Christ, Come see us, any of us that are up here on the platform or come by the office. We'd love to talk to you about that. And the challenge question I leave with you this week. I hope you'll take these life notes. I hope you'll, you'll, you'll fold them up, put them in your pocket. Take some time this week and just go through these points again. I hope you'll go through these points this week and just kind of do a self-assessment about do I have these essentials in my life? How equipped Am I for life? Amen.